Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 155, and today we'll be chatting with Jeff Morris Jr., the Director of Product Management and Revenue at Tinder. Jeff got into tech after seeing a tweet late one night for an open position with a startup called Zarly. The next day, he had to move from California to Kansas City, Missouri, if he wanted the job. Jeff quickly made a name for himself and became one of the first few city managers. Following his time building the marketplace, Jeff began consulting before working on several of his own projects like Slack Chats, a directory of popular Slack channels that grew to over 80,000 users. Jeff then joined the team at Tinder to work on increasing retention and engagement through the product and marketing channels. Today, Jeff also works with the team of engineers, designers, and marketers to create, build, and launch new paid features for the platform. Jeff joins us to share his story, how he started his career in tech, what it was like growing a massive marketplace like Zarly, what it was like joining the team at Tinder, how he approaches product management, how he's approached working on monetization over the past year, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start Drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, likewise. We're super excited to get the opportunity to speak with you today and to hear about all the cool things that you've been up to, as well as what's happening at Tinder. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Sure, yeah. So um, I grew up in Atherton, California, which is about five minutes from Palo Alto. Ended up going down south to UCLA and studied English, so it wasn't a very standard tech education. But then after graduating from UCLA, I went straight to USC and went to their film school, studied in the Peter Stark producing program. So I was actually thinking that I was going to be an executive in, in either film or television and graduated in 2009, which is right when um, the recession was happening and film studios were shutting down. Um, it was the same time when when Twitter was kind of coming out and really just thought that was a better better career path and became more passionate about than than film but um but yeah grew up grew up not too far away from where all the action happens wow that's really cool so how did you discover your passion for tech and entrepreneurship and what was it like transitioning from film into that type of industry first of all i guess in in college i was working in a bunch of different internships so um my sophomore year of college i, I interned for protrade.com it was a, a startup backed by sv angel and some other folks they'd raise about 20 million dollars and and um, that gave me just a taste of what working at a technology company might be like. I didn't realize at the time, but, but it was a really cool job. And they kind of said, hey, we want you to figure out college marketing. Go go do your thing. You know, I compared that with other internships where I was working more at film studios and, and production companies where there was just less freedom and, and kind of less responsibility. And uh, as I graduated from, from USC, I uh, had a chance to look back on, you know, when I was happiest in my life. And I realized it wasn't when I was working at film studios. It was more that early tech internship that, that um, was really the best summer of my life professionally. And, and of course, like as Twitter came out, it was such an exciting time for me, I felt like I was connecting with people who I shouldn't be connecting with. And um, really, um, I mean, if you look at my, my Twitter profile going all the, way, all the way back to 2009, that was really how I kind of met people professionally. And, and I think without Twitter, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. I honestly did use it to, to talk to everyone in, in technology and 
Um, you hear these crazy stories about people who who get jobs off of Twitter. And, and for me, that was actually how I got my first job was I saw someone tweeting about a job opportunity at, at a company called Zarly and, and um, responded. And, and that was kind of my way of getting into technology. Wow, that's really cool. Do you think the same is true of Twitter today? Like, do you think people can still use it to connect in that kind of way, especially if they're looking to start off their careers? Yeah, I, I think it actually is. If you have a strong point of view and you can identify people within different verticals who um, have interesting opinions, if, if you have interesting ideas and, and thoughts, you can honestly stand out really quickly. And I, I don't think that's changed. I think Twitter is the ultimate kind of connector and equalizer in terms of access to information and, and also access to people. So I'd, I'd say, you know, if you if you feel like you're not connected to people in, in Silicon Valley or tech, just hop on and, and join the conversation. And obviously know when to join the conversation. Like you don't want to, um, you know, it's like, real life rules where you want to make sure you're, you're jumping at the right time, but definitely feel free to get in there and, and make your name known. I think it's a great place to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a critical distinction to make. So coming back to Zarly, can you tell us a little bit more of like, you know, you saw the tweet, you responded, but what was it like creating the opportunity to join the team there? And what was Zarly all about? Yeah, so Zarly came about in 2011, and you know it was a, a startup weekend company and pitch out of LA. So, so the kind of myth goes where they they pitched the idea, and within 24 hours they had a million dollars in fundraising from Ashton Kutcher, SV Angel, and some other folks. Um, really, at the time, the idea was a marketplace where you could, on your phone, ask for anything. Um, you would name your price, and people would respond to it. So, um, think of it as like a Uber for everything, um, where the buyer can name their price and request really whatever they want. So we, we did mostly home services, um, house cleaners, handymen, but we were also doing a lot of rides to the airport. We were also selling a lot of iPads. So it was, it was kind of a, a marketplace that, that had the power of mobile, but also kind of the, um, the breadth of, of a Craigslist where you, um, you could find anything you were looking for on, on this app. And I think the reason why folks were so excited about the time was it kind of hit all the trends that were, were peaking, which was hyperlocal mobile uh, marketplaces were, were pretty hot. And, and it kind of hit all these keywords that venture capitalists were looking for. And, and beyond that, had a, had a really great founding team. So, um, you know, back to the, the earlier story is, is I saw a tweet at, I was living in San Francisco at the time, I just finished a consulting job, but I saw a tweet at, at 1 a.m. from one of the founders saying, hey, we're looking to bring on a few folks. Message me if you're interested. And I messaged him and, and we got on the phone the next day and started chatting. And, and he I guess liked me and said, um, we want to hire you, but you have to move to Kansas City tomorrow. And so I was living in San Francisco at the time and, and was single. Um, I think I just got out of a long-term relationship and, and really didn't have any reason not to go. That said, when I packed my bags and, and went to Kansas City, people thought I was pretty crazy, but moved to, to Missouri. So Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I remember I landed, upon landing, I, I literally texted my friends and I said, is Kansas City in Kansas or Missouri? And it turns out uh, it's in both states. So I didn't even know really where I was going. Um, I had packed one bag and showed up at an office that didn't even have a company sign. So everything was a little bit weird at the time, but um, but it turned out the company was legit and real. And, and it was just a great opportunity for me to kind of get out of San Francisco and, and see something new and, and really just focus. Uh, I didn't have any friends in Kansas City when I first got there. I, of course, made friends with my teammates, but um, it was a great time to just get out of, of everything that was happening in the Bay Area and dedicate myself to to working. Um, and I worked really hard for a couple months and, and kind of made, made a name for myself at the company and, and things went well. Wow, that's an absolutely crazy story. So maybe just exploring the fact that, you know, Zarly was a marketplace where you could find absolutely anything and everything. 
how did you approach trying to solve that problem from a business development and partnerships perspective? Like, where do you even begin to tackle a challenge of that size? I guess to be clear, when I when I joined the team initially, I was I was focusing on marketing and I was kind of just doing whatever whatever the founders needed. There were a handful of us who were there to do anything and everything to grow the marketplace. So so initially, when we got there, it was it was about how do you build communities within major cities where we were we were launching nationally on day one. So it wasn't like you know, most marketplaces you see, they launch, um, they'll pick a, a city, normally San Francisco, and launch. We had this kind of bold, audacious plan to, to launch nationally. And um, so I remember we were sitting on a whiteboard and we we had a list of like the top 50 cities in, in the country. And we just put our names next to the cities where we knew the most people. And, and we immediately got on the phones and, and started calling them and tried to just introduce the idea of what we were doing and see if they had any connections in there where, where they could introduce us to. So we became kind of city managers within multiple cities. I think I did Boston, Los Angeles, because I went to college there, San Francisco, and I think I did Las Vegas randomly because it seemed like a fun place to, to visit if I ever had the chance. But but really it was, it was you know, how do you, how do you launch a, a national marketplace with just a handful of people? And I think looking back on, on kind of the lesson learned was we all wish we had launched just in a few cities and, and really focus on probably just one or two verticals. But we it was kind of this crazy time where anything went and we you know didn't really have that plan of one vertical. We wanted to see what verticals might might make sense and what what were consumers asking for. So really it was when I got there just like, hey, go figure out how to how to create demand in, in marketplaces. And then soon we realized that we could create a lot of demand, but we needed to to fill the supply side. So um, the problem shifted from hey we have too much demand. How do you find supply to fill the demand? So if you can imagine, I guess one story I've told recently is is in Los Angeles, we had a request for, um, someone requested a rabbi to come to their home the next day. And so we saw this request and we were looking at every request in the marketplace. Um, it turned out the person who made the request was Ashton Kutcher, who is our, our investor and, and obviously someone we want to, to make that request happen for. So to give you an example of what I did, I, I literally called my friends in Los Angeles I had a handful of Jewish friends, I'm Jewish myself, and, and said, hey, do you know if we can find a rabbi to, to visit somebody's home? I can say it was Ashton Kutcher, but um, spent like three hours finding a rabbi and literally the next day had a rabbi um, at Ashton Kutcher's door. And so it was, it was this crazy process where we felt like every request that, that happened on the marketplace, we had to, to fill. And so you know, a large portion of our days was just um, this crazy kind of matching game between requests and filling them with with suppliers. Um, obviously, not something that doesn't scale and, and d- did not scale. But um, when you're launching a startup, you have to do crazy things, and and kind of that's how we filled our days is figuring out how to to fill these requests. Wow, that's a great story. I, I was going to ask if there were any you know outlandish requests that you guys would get through, but I I don't know if you could top that. Were there were there any others? Um, there were there was like. Kind of crazy ones. Um, one person had dropped their keys in a sewer um, in Chicago, and they jokingly requested someone to help them get their keys out of the sewer. And someone showed up with with a fishing pole to help them get it out. It's just it was like you know it was like all across the board. It was a mixture of people with very serious requests. So um, you know I want someone to to clean my home. To people just testing out the marketplace and saying I wonder what crazy idea I could I could get on Zarly. And obviously the the ones we ended up preferring and we ended up kind of adjusting the branding and messaging so it was more home services. But really anything went at the time and it was it was a really fun thing to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. So after Zarly, you then launched your own product consultancy. So what was it like running that type of business and consulting, you know, with startups and bigger companies about their product? And like, what were some of the biggest mistakes you kept seeing them make? 
I did the consultancy after Zarly, and I was focusing more on growth and paid acquisitions. So helping companies figure out how to really how to how to mostly get get early early, early customers. And and I guess the hardest thing you know I faced was most people when they're hiring consultants for growth, their problem isn't something that can be solved by a consultant. So it's you know if you're looking for like the growth guru or, or the growth hacker, um, most of the times that's that's something that needs to be solved within your product. And so bringing in a consultant like myself while while helpful is only really a band-aid. And that's part of the reason why, you know, why I ended up wanting to go full-time at a, at a company is, is um, I was working for a lot of startups who have, you know, decent ideas but not great products um, and definitely didn't need a growth consultant at the time. So I, I would say, you know, it's kind of a self-selecting thing when you're when you're doing growth consulting is most of the companies who, who end up hiring you probably don't really need your services at that time point in their in their kind of like company life cycles. So I guess the hardest thing I learned was, you know, although I have have experience in growth and, and great ideas, you know, a lot of the companies you end up wanting to hire you don't really need you. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, like you said, it's something that, you know, definitely needs to belong a little bit more internal and be driven by the founder or like the core team. It's it's not something that, you know, you can magically fix by bringing in somebody external for, you know, a few hours a week. Yeah, there's there's no magic bullet to, to growth. I actually talked talked to a founder this morning who's building a marketplace, and he asked me, you know, what channel I recommended to grow his marketplace. And I I kind of said to him like, you're the founder, you're the one who looks at data all day long. Um, if you're asking me who who you just met on the phone five minutes ago to to help solve your growth problems, and like I think you might be in trouble. You really need as a founder, you're probably doing a lot of the product work yourself in the early days. So all that kind of channel testing and and figuring out what your your strategy is um, should be done in house. I, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess after that, you also had a chance to participate in General Assembly's immersive web development bootcamp. So what really motivated you to do that kind of thing? And what was the process of learning to code like? Yeah, it was it was fantastic and something I would 100% recommend to anyone who has um, a break in their career or time to do it. So, so really, when I was at Zarly, I was doing a lot of paid acquisition. And as part of that was starting to build a lot of different product funnels. So I was building mostly landing pages. Um, when people clicked on a Facebook ad, we had to have custom messaging and, and we had landing flows that we were trying to optimize. And I really became more interested in product as a whole, started to to really get a passion for, for build, building things. And I think part of that came from my kind of film school background, which is focused more on uh, creative endeavors where you're building something from scratch. And so, um, you know, I started to, to after Zarly, test ideas. So I tested everything from an on-demand gas delivery idea to a marketplace for GoPro film editors. And, and I was releasing most of these products on Product Hunt. It was a mixture of, of hiring freelancers and also trying to build them myself. And and three of those products ended up being number one on Product Hunt. So I started to, to realize I am actually pretty good at product. I just need to to get better at it. Um, so I went to General Assembly not to become a developer. Mostly I, I went there so I could sharpen my skills um, just technically when I'm speaking to developers and, and trying to communicate my ideas. I was able to kind of like show my idea visually, but but when it came to talking about APIs and backends and all those fun things, I really had no idea what I was talking about. So um, General Assembly for me was was more teaching me a language and, and a way to communicate than actually how to code. Although people did graduate and, and go on to become developers, um, that was never my personal goal. That's really cool. So what was the process that you were using to, you know, vet and validate the ideas that you were then launching on Product Hunt? Yeah, so there were there was a mixture. Like some of them were just weekend projects. So I, I released a product called Slackchats.com, which was probably, that was my first product. And it was number one on, on Product Hunt and had, I think, you know, 80,000 active users by the time I kind of, wanted it down but you know it's just a process of discovering ideas so 
in the case of Slack chats, I recognized there were all these public, this is when Slack was kind of exploding. I realized there were all these public interest Slack channels emerging, kind of like IRC reinvented within Slack, um, but there was no directory to to discover these ideas. So just built a simple kind of like product hunt style, upvote, downvote kind of uh, directory for these these different channels. And so that was a weekend project where I was just kind of like tinkering. You know, the on-demand gas idea actually got pretty far with that um, and was starting to talk to venture capitalists, but I actually was driving gas around Menlo Park on the back of my Wrangler with with a gas tank. And I was doing it with um, a few really talented folks from Stanford. But as you're doing an idea, you start to realize maybe it's not what you're passionate about. So I was doing gas delivery at, I think, 7 p.m. one night. And and I was like thinking to myself, um, you know, if this goes really well, this is what I'm going to be doing for for some period of time um, until I can hire some other folks. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, is gas delivery something I'm passionate about. So I know this sounds kind of silly saying out loud, but I was I was testing ideas and just trying to figure out like what am I interested in and, and what am I passionate enough to to spend the next, you know, eight to ten years of my life doing. Yeah, absolutely. So from those little projects, you actually then ended up joining Tinder as the director of CRM and engagement. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you ended up joining the team at Tinder? It was a process where I was starting to to look at full time opportunities and Tinder reached out. Um, I had done a lot of our retention marketing at Zarly and also um, had done it with a few other companies that I was consulting with. Really, it came down to um, went down, met with the team and realized that this was a massive global company with still a pretty small team. So I think we had 60 employees at the time and we were in 196 countries. And so kind of that scale to number of employees ratio was really interesting to me. And then and then just looking at kind of what infrastructure we had in place at the time, Tinder was one of those crazy concepts that, that just went viral. And it doesn't happen that much anymore. But and with that came a lot of opportunities. So in terms of retention marketing, there you know, they had really hadn't hadn't done much in, in terms of retention marketing and, and the opportunity to kind of come in and, and help build that infrastructure and define the program was just really exciting to me. And then also, um, you know, I have a girlfriend now and a happy relationship, but, it, but the Tinder product was really exciting to me. I'd, I'd used it. Um, I love online offline products. Felt like the type of company where, and still to this day, where you walk around and tell people that you're working at Tinder and you hear the most amazing stories of people who know someone who met on Tinder and, and got married or they themselves met their boyfriend or girlfriend on, on Tinder. And it's just one of those products where you have a lot of fun getting those those kind of like real life reactions. And so, you know, the more I thought about it and started talking to people about the, the idea, it became really exciting to me. Um, I was living in San Francisco at the time. So the, you know, again, like the, do I, do I move to... Los Angeles thing kind of was a little bit more complicated this time because I had more more of a life uh, set up in San Francisco. But at the end of the day, it was a great decision for me and couldn't be happier. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the tactics or projects, I guess, that you had looked at or are looking at from like that product management or, or marketing perspective to, to increase that customer retention and engagement? So initially when I came in, it was mostly about setting up the infrastructure to to do retention marketing. So from that came integrating SDK to deliver emails and push notifications that were localized and very easy to test. So everything that we were doing at the time was sent from a back end. It was very hard to to do anything as a non-developer. You know, the company hadn't had not explored email marketing and still to this day pretty light on email because we're a mobile product. But you know, we sent our first major email within uh, weeks of, of joining the team. So so it was it was looking at these different channels and, and figuring out you know what what opportunities exist within our data so i spent you know really the first month of my my tinder career just talking to people internally and, and looking at data and trying to to make sense of of what we were doing um and then 
when it came to actually tactics, uh, you know, there's a lot of testing. We probably sent out hundreds and hundreds of, of experiments within my first couple of months, mostly focused on push notifications. But but it was it was just a really fun time where there was so much white space and just a lot of freedom to, to experiment and had some pretty pretty big wins that I was excited about. What's the biggest driver of that retention, that engagement that you guys are consistently thinking about at Tinder? So you really are our best word of mouth and how we continue to be a viral app is is when we have success stories. So it's it's you telling your friends that you went on a great Tinder date or you telling your your friends that you met your boyfriend or girlfriend on Tinder. And you know, as much as we would like to keep you as a customer on Tinder, that's so helpful for our marketplace when we have those great stories. So we we do our best to to find you amazing connections and um, we hope that you find that that person who um, you can tell your friends, hey, I just met my my soulmate on Tinder. That's like the best case ever. And then, you know, of course, if you open the New York Times on a Sunday and look at the, the vows section, you see just it, you almost see a Tinder story every weekend at this point. And that's just like marketing gold for us. So. So, yeah, it's it's our job to help you find the best person for you. And, and um, we're happy to to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And so you were talking about, I guess, some of the metrics that you were looking at in terms of, you know, having that white field and then figuring out like, okay, what's working as you, as you try different things, which which were some of the metrics in particular, if you can say, like, even just generally, like that you would look at or watch closely? And how did you know which data to prioritize when deciding, you know, like, okay, let's try this next test? So most companies look at a combination of DAO, which is daily active users, WOW, weekly active users, and MAL, monthly active users. Um, and I, I really wanted to get just an understanding of where, you know, mostly focusing on, on the early part of the funnel, but where were people falling off and why were they falling off? So I can't speak to our, our data specifically, but, but there are always points within every funnel where you can um, identify opportunities. And, and a lot of that, you know, if you're, if you're a young startup and you're, um, especially in mobile, it's, it's earlier in the life cycle. So, you know, for me, I like to look when I join a team really early in the life cycle. So week one, there's always a lot of kind of opportunity there to, to improve your funnel. If you kind of get users excited about your application early on in, in the funnel, you'll have, you'll, you'll solve your kind of like, day 28 issues that you might you might be facing. So I tend to look early in the funnel and, and kind of go from there. It also helps me um, mentally to know that I'm making progress piece by piece in the funnel so I can start to solve different things. So hopefully that makes sense. But I, I tend to look early in the funnel. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to, you know, briefly ask about was how do you guys approach, you know, rolling out tests and where do you do it? Just given the fact that Tinder was available in, you know, so many different countries, is that something that you test out in a smaller market first and then roll out internationally? Or how do you guys approach, you know, rolling those those tests out? You know, just like operationally, it makes sense to do most of your tests in English speaking countries. Um, so you don't have to translate text and, and that whole process. You know, I, I really, and as a company, we tend to do a lot of our tests in, in Australia because those market dynamics um, tend to mirror the, the U.S. pretty well. Um, that said, we try and test in, in many different types of markets, so we we know how how our products will behave in different marketplaces. So you know, we always try and do kind of one English-speaking country that has a pretty solid user base, and then we'll we'll look at kind of emerging countries and test there just to make sure we have have that counter argument and balance um, when we look at the data. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And so I guess over the last year and a bit, you've been a little bit more focused on the revenue side of the business, working a lot with a product called Tinder Plus. So what was it like shifting your focus towards monetization and introducing those types of features into the app? Yeah, it um, it was actually a really natural transition for me. I was on the product team already. Our team was really small. I had done monetization, uh, more focused on payments at, at previous companies. And um, also worked on discounting projects through CRM campaigns. 
And so it really, uh, it was a natural fit for me, a lot of the stuff I'd done before. But, you know, I worked directly for a guy named Brian Norgard, who's now the chief product officer at Tinder. And um, when he, he went to focus on being the head of product, um, and he was previously focusing on revenue, he, he kind of said, uh, here's, here's an amazing opportunity for you, and, and gave me a lot of freedom to, to help lead this team. So there's about 12 Twelve of us on the team, mostly engineers, myself, um, and a designer. And and you know the beauty of the team is we do have a lot of autonomy within the the Tinder organization, and and it almost feels like this small little family within a larger company. And so we we really pride ourselves on being kind of a startup within a startup, which is is pretty cool. The products I'm, I'm working on work on Tinder Plus. So Tinder Plus is is now the number two top grossing app in the world when you take out games. Um, so it's a wildly successful business and and we're just really lucky to be in a category where um where users i think are willing to pay for for the product and and you know it's our job to make sure they they find value in those in those products and i think we've done a a great job yeah absolutely it's super cool and that's one of the things that i find most interesting about tinder and the way you guys operate is the willingness to create different products and and try different things like the iMessage app that came out not too long ago and some other stuff like that you guys are always pushing you know forward to try new things and and get people to interact in in different ways so i guess on on that note like what's next for tinder just any sneak peeks or or things that we should uh stay tuned for um i wish i could reveal more details i would say we have our product team is is in such a good place we've added some super talented people and and i've thrown our engineering team so we do have some pretty amazing releases coming up you know i'm I'm releasing something pretty soon that i'm really excited about should have more details on that soon but i think that you know the key for us is just continuing to innovate so i think you know in, in mobile as you've seen with instagram and snapchat and um many other examples when you when you succeed other people will will try and follow you and uh, it's our job to make sure we're we're creating products in our category before everyone else um, I think this year we're we're gonna take a big um, step forward in, in doing so and and we've spent a lot of this year kind of just catching up with our scale so so a lot of um, architecture cleanups and now it's time to release new products and we have some really amazing things coming out soon I wish I could say in more detail what they are but you'll see soon absolutely no it's all good we're gonna have to stay tuned and uh, keep the keep the phone close by for a push notification <laughs> exactly so i guess outside of tinder you know you're, you're also doing some other stuff especially on the investment side uh with with a group called chapter one an early stage you know fund that's invested in some other companies like branch hyperloop one uh and more so what do you look for as, as an investor in in other companies yeah, um, that's a great question. So, you know, I really started investing on the side. It was mostly friends and, and people who were pitching me product ideas to to integrate with companies. So what I look for in founders mostly is kind of that founder market fit that you hear of. So people who have deep domain expertise within whatever they're passionate about. You know, if I were to pitch you a, a self-driving car startup right now, I might not be the best person to leave that company because I don't have a background in self-driving cars. But if someone from Tesla or, or Hyperloop came to me and, and had a, a new transportation idea, I might I might be more willing to listen. So I look for product market fit. Also just just look for people who are who are interesting and, and fun to work with. Investing like anything else where you spend a lot of time with that person if you're if you have a great relationship and and i want to work with people who who inspire me so it's it's um it's a mix of product market fit interesting backgrounds then um of course the more traction you have in terms of customers or users um you know i'm not a full-time investor so so the signals i look for um it, it makes my job a lot easier when you have customers or, or you know, just insane um, user growth to make a, a decision on investing. So I'd say, I'd say, I love it when you have some nice logos in your homepage that I can look at and do some reference calls um, to see what what customers think about your product. 
for sure absolutely and when i guess when it comes to like the pitch or the approach what advice would you have when you know when, when they do have some of those early signals and and the the background in the industry what what type of advice i guess would you give to folks looking to raise that money uh, it's not too complicated i mean i think when you're also when you're pitching angels they'll ask for different things than than if you're pitching institutional investors with angels we're probably a little bit more casual in our our process for better or worse and and so um, I think the the signals we mostly look for are you know traction and then of course product and and you know hopefully it's something that that aligns with the angels' interests um, because we all have interests outside of work and and if you can find figure out what what, what works at it about then then maybe it, it will be a better match. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess on on that note, either personally or or just out of downloading habits, what are some of the most you know recent apps that you've downloaded or used? So I've been walking to work recently, so I'm really interested in, in audio apps. Um, Breaker is, is one. Uh, it's my favorite podcasting app right now, so it's, it lets you see um, which podcast your friends are listening to. and also just has a really clean, simple interface to just discover and listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, they also have great notifications. Uh, I'm trying to get more into meditation because I'm told that uh, many smart people meditate. So Headspace, I'm, I'm starting to play around with that quite a bit and, and really just enjoying that process of figuring out if meditation is a good fit for me. You know, then music, uh, I've always been a huge fan of Hype Machine. They've been around since like the late 2000s, but they just aggregate all all my favorite blogs and show me what the popular music is so I don't have to do the the hard work myself. Um, so I've always been a fan of their product. But, you know, I think I think in mobile there's... Um, only a handful of, of products, for better or worse, that end up uh, making it to, to my home screen um, or on my phone. And so I'm always searching, but it's hard to find apps that really kind of like make a, an impact on your day-to-day life to the point where you use them frequently. One other app I guess I'll mention is Zenly. Those guys were acquired by Snapchat last week, and you know, it's just a really cool location sharing app that I've enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really, really cool apps. So I guess I guess along those lines, do you have any recommendations on some great content that could be like a, a book, video, blog post, anything that's sort of caught your attention? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm really into email newsletters right now. And I think there's a few really good ones. The, the obvious one is Ben Thompson writes uh, Stratechery, and that's just probably the best content I wake up to every morning. There's also a series of newsletters. So there's there's a newsletter website called Review. It's R-E-V-U-E. Um, and they've done a great job of making it really easy to create newsletters. And so there's Series F, which is, it kind of speaks to the future of venture capital and just takes a really interesting look at, at what the industry might become, um, which I think is always really relevant. Then Hearing Voices, I'm, I'm really interested in voices as a UI. And so the Hearing Voices just kind of is the daily or weekly update of, of what the best voice news is. And then Oliver Cameron writes a really good newsletter called Transmission, and that's uh, about a ton of transportation. So there's all these little newsletters where if you subscribe to enough, you, you start to feel like you kind of know what's going on. That's really cool. I've uh, checked a few of those, those out, but uh, there's a few new ones in there that we'll definitely make sure that we include the links to so everybody listening can, can easily find them and subscribe. Yeah. Um, so discover, it's discover.getreview.co. That has all the newsletters that you might ever want to subscribe to listed. So you'll, you'll enjoy uh, kind of scanning through that if you have time. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we've chatted, you know, about a bunch of different things throughout the course of the episode, but do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about or, you know, could get uh, inspired by? Personal mottos are hard. I think I think the one thing that you know I've really learned is you only have so many hours in the day, so make sure you figure out ways to really manage your time and do things that are interesting. 
Um, I'm always a, a fan of less meetings. So, you know, if you look at your calendar for the past week or the past day, um, start to think about what, what you might have been able to cut out and how your time could have been spent better. I, I know a lot of people who spend their mornings, um, they call it like creative mornings. When they get in the office from like 8 to 11, they, they focus on um, only productive, creative things. And I, I'm a big fan of the idea of kind of blocking out your mornings and focusing on doing what uh, what really needs to get done in the mornings and, and save the meetings for later. In terms of a motto, I think my friends and I joke now, we, we try and be the first one to the office and we'll send each other a picture of kind of the, the empty seats around you. Um, and then the, the quote we say is, is rise and grind. And so I'm a big fan of, of that rise and grind mentality. So like in an industry where it's kind of cool to, to walk into work a little bit later, um, try and be be at the office earlier than everyone else and take kind of a, a workman's approach to, to your, your day job. And um, I think you'll you'll find that you uh, you have a lot of success by just like putting in the hard work. Absolutely. I love that. I'll have to try that with uh, with some of the guys at work uh, myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun little challenge. And, and it just, you know, it gives you like a chance to say, you know, good morning, hello to everybody um, in a fun way. Absolutely. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Of course. Thank you. And great talking. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.